Millennial Falcon Podcast, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always is... I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. And I am Anya Crittenton, a writer for Gay Star News, and back from vacation, reunited with my fabulous co-hosts. All right, so we are in the full swing of fall and October and all things witchy and spoopy. And longtime <laughs> listeners will recall one of our earlier episodes, one of our very first episodes we did in the podcast, with our special guest and friend of the pod, Lauren, because the three of us, we notoriously don't really like horror that much. And so we wanted to talk to someone who did really love horror. Well, turns out HT and I have been on a weird spiritual journey this year, getting a little more into horror, which has been very strange for both of us, I think. Willoughby is still firmly in camp, no horror, I believe. Horror with um, social, you know, topics. So get out. So get out. Get out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Mostly agreed. Um, But, you know, HT and I are still just dipping our toes in. Um, So we decided that we would do an episode about movies to watch around the Halloween season that aren't horror films, that aren't slasher films, um, and movies that we like that get us in the spooky fall mood without keeping us up at night. It's time to get spooky. But not too spooky. But also (laughs) too spooky. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how this episode is going to work is we're going to do kind of a round table um, and just kind of shout out one by one movies that we like this season that don't scare us too much. um, And hopefully you guys agree. So Willoughby, why don't you get us started? Okay, let me look up number one on my list. Uh, Number one on my list is the Michael J. Fox instant classic, 1985's Teen Wolf. Ooh. It I is, can see that being a Willoughby film. It's, first, I love werewolves, and I love Michael J. Fox, and it was prime 80s movie, you know, shtick going on in this world, and it was just a confluence of all of that, and I loved it. Um... I mean, if you got, if any of you guys have watched the uh, MTV Teen Wolf TV show, it is nothing like it. It is HD, unfortunately, has. I've seen it too. You um, know, it's not terrible for the first couple of seasons. Yeah, but it's <laughs> ultimately like a a very different TV show than the movie was. The the movie was very much like very campy and very like silly and not taking itself seriously at all. Like, there's never maybe there's like one scary moment when he's in a, in the uh, uh, wine and liquor store trying to get a, a keg of beer, and he, like, scares the um, uh, cashier into giving him a keg of beer. And it's kind of like that moment in Lord of the Rings with Bilbo and the... Oh, in and, the like, ring he, where he, in, like, in the, goes When he's in Rivendell and gets yeah. all evil for, like, that a quick moment. That part didn't always scare me as a kid. I was like, that's Christ, like Bilbo. That's, like, the one moment in Teen Wolf that's kind of scary. Um, but otherwise, it's him, like, as a werewolf, like, playing basketball and dancing up on vans and, uh, like, doing doing the wolf at the prom and stuff. It's very ridiculous. Oh, and he did a, he did a version of Gone with the Wind on the stage, <laughs> and the, on the stage as one of the Union soldiers, I think. It's very weird, and I love it. It's so weird and cool and fun, and there's a sequel called Teen Wolf 2, uh, T-O-O. 
with Jason Bateman as Michael J. Fox's cousin who oh, goes to college God. and gets afflicted by being a werewolf because it's a puberty thing. <laughs> so he goes I mean, to college and he's a werewolf. I have yet to watch it, but both movies, and this is, this is a recommendation for every single one of our listeners and every single one of your friends, both movies are on Hulu. Oh, there you go. So go so, watch those campy 80s. Hulu has a lot of great movies right now. Um, they're kind of taking over Netflix with, in terms of like like solid movies. Yeah, Hulu to has watch. some good stuff. Like Hulu has like Hunt for the Wilder People and like a lot of good like modern movies as well as like I actually looked um, and this is uh, for Mike Sillingle who who has uh, moved on to New York. Uh, all like a lot of Godzilla movies are now on Hulu and just in time for fall as well as Colossal, uh, which I think we all liked. Uh, so, so there you uh, go, our, our tangent about go get a Hulu account. Yep, <laughs> and that's uh, bringing me back to Teen Wolf. All right. You could compare the uh, difference in tone from the Teen Wolf movie to the Teen Wolf series uh, to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, too, because really? the original movie is incredibly campy, uh, much to, sh- to the chagrin of writer Joss Whedon, who... Uh, afterwards went on to make the TV show, which was more in line with his vision of Buffy. Yeah, although I'd say the TV show for Teen Wolf is more serious. Yeah, definitely. But just, in, but ridiculous, but more ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, HC, what is your recommendation for non-spoopy movies for Halloween? So, my first one is going to be one that I'm assuming is on everyone's list. Hocus Pocus, the 1993 uh, Disney film uh, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and... Ooh, I forgot the last... Kathy uh, Nimjay. Nimjay? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm sorry, Kathy, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so um, that is just a classic, millennial, beloved cult film that is unfortunately getting a Disney Channel remake now. It's not and, one of uh, We all wanted we, a sequel, we, not a remake. Yeah, we all wanted a sequel, but it's not happening. So we will always have the original to cherish and to watch at every Halloween. Because Disney Channel airs it every Halloween. Oh, yeah. I'm actually um, I'm seeing it tonight at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, which is Disney's Ooh. big theater. And they do uh, Hocus Pocus every year for, like, a weekend. And they have the Sanderson sisters there and everything. So we're going to see it tonight. Um, I'm so excited. I want, you know, the one thing I really love about Hocus Pocus, and I think why it's, you know, lasted so long is, like, the Halloween movie, is that it embraces the culture of Halloween, like, so mm-hmm. fervently. Like, it's so excited about just embracing, like, witchy things and fall vibes and the Halloween season, and it does it with so much earnest and, like, no irony or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. It comes off as more of... It's like a supernatural sort of fantasy film in a way, and it has those elements of bringing these characters back from the dead, but they're not out there to just scare you or to make you um, horrified of the of the holiday, but it's a family-friendly film, and there's still, like, stakes and dire uh, suspense uh, within the film, but it's still just, like, it has that sort of preternatural vibe to it that makes it more accessible and just so fun. And you get to see Bette Midler uh, singing, I put a spell on you, so what... What are you waiting exactly. for? And it's genuinely hilarious. It's so funny. So funny. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I'm going to go kind of in similar vein with, like, a vibe that I really love to get during Halloween, and that's, like, the whole gothic vibe, which I know HT also loves. Um, so I'm going to recommend 
two movies in that genre, both of which are rated R, so, like, they're, you know, a little scarier, but they're not really that scary. Um, If I can handle both of them, you guys can. Um, And the first one is Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Ah, you ticked my list. Well, sorry. Um, (laughs) And it's so good, and it just, it's a gothic romance, and it's spooky and eerie and wistful and I absolutely love it. And the next one is actually one of my all-time favorite Holly movies. I watch it every year. It was my first ever R-rated film. It unfortunately stars Johnny Depp, which Oh, it's oh I know which yep, one you're talking it's about. It's my favorite <laughs> Tim Burton Johnny Depp collaboration and it is Sleepy Hollow and I mm. love that film to the fiber of my being. I I love it. I love the vibe. I love how committed it is to its gothic aesthetic and history. Um, I love Johnny Depp in it. I, like, hate that now. I hate that he's ruined, he's partially ruined this movie for me. But I still watch it every year. I've already watched it, actually, this year. Um, And I just think it's so fun. It is, you know, pretty bloody, but, like, in that really over-the-top sort of way that it's not Mm -hmm. really that scary. Um, And I just love kind of going back into gothic times and embracing that part of the Halloween season. Gothic is amazing. I'm a little upset you took Crimson Peak from me, (laughs) but, you know, it's okay. That was, like, a movie that was made for the both of us. You did take Hocus Pocus from me, too, so. That's true. Okay. We're even now. (laughs) All right. Willoughby. Um keeping in line with the spookiness of Tim Burton, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Which is a movie you can watch at both Halloween and Christmas. And Thanksgiving, kind of like in between. You yeah. can just go all the way through. Just watch it for three months straight. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you guys have both seen it, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's all it's an all-time classic. It's got some good songs. It's got some great animation. Uh there's really not much more it's to say. It's a really good really movie to watch if you need to understand what cultural appropriation is. It actually really no, is. No, it's like, super It's is. a great one. It super is all about, like, a dude who's like, I like that thing. I'm going to make it mine. Even though it doesn't belong without, to me and it's not my culture. Even though not. it doesn't belong to me and I'm not going to respect it. Yeah. And, and butch, I'm going to butcher oh, it. That's so true. I actually never thought oh, of that. Yeah, I've, I've read a yeah. lot of like articles about that and stuff. And also, like, can we just take a moment real quick to like praise Sally as the hero of the film and that like she is so much better than Jack and Jack never like recognizes how great she really is. They, she doesn't. Sally is an under undersung hero. Yeah. yeah. Unsung, sorry. And speaking of singing, uh, shout out to Danny Elfman for like kick, killing it as uh, the Pumpkin King. Like, I know he was in a band. I didn't so, like, know that. I know he can sing, but, like... I didn't know that either. Oh, yeah. He was like he had, a, like, an 80s band. Um, All right, Danny Elfman. And, but he's like, he can he can kill it on the on the mic. All right. He can. His, uh, so he's, he's just an all-talented guy. You know, he should be the next one to go on a tour. Like, oh, to go to Coachella like Hans Zimmer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would that would be great. So apparently they... Th- filmed one of those to Hans Zimmer's and they're going to like like air it in like theaters yeah people were over the moon with that because apparently he was like a real rock god at that concert all right I'm here for that <laughs> Hans Zimmer's yeah. great hello Hans Zimmer I listen I watched the YouTube videos that people recorded <laughs> that's amazing he's so into it he's just he just loves his music so much all right, all right. HT. um 
So my next one is not a Tim Burton film, but it is Burton-esque. It is actually produced by Tim Burton, I think. Uh, and it's by one of your favorite authors. I knew it. I, that was uh, my next one I was going to do. <laughs> oh, we're just overlapping. Coraline. So this is actually, a, it's a somewhat more eerie kind of creepy film. Um, so it has some scary moments like Crimson Peak does. But it's a it's just like a... A really good childhood adventure movie uh, from, well, let me find out what year it was released. It was pretty recent. I think it was 2009. 2009. Oh, I got it. You are correct. So it's about a girl who um, is unhappy with the new house that she and her parents have moved into, and everything is bleak and gray, and you see it as such. And then suddenly she discovers this sort of portal to an alternate uh, universe where the mother and everyone else is so loving of her, and they kind of look like bizarro versions of her real life, but with buttons in their eyes. And it turns out it's all an elaborate ploy uh, to entrap this girl, but it's it's riveting. It's so it's such a good like surreal and weird and it's movie. Beautiful. But it's just like it is beautiful too. It's beautifully animated. The score is also um, really lovely and interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that there aren't enough. There isn't enough appreciation for stop motion movies and how much rigor and hard work goes into Agreed. them. Coraline really makes use of that uh, medium and uses it to like take over, portray this like imaginative world. And they, you, they, you can see they put a lot of loving detail into it. It's such a good, fun movie and great for Halloween. See, there you go. It is really great. I recommend it to everyone. I also recommend mm-hmm. if you've never read it, um, Neil Gaiman does an audiobook of it. That is mm. delightful, and you can just listen to his dulcet tones for several hours. It's wonderful. Um, so yeah, that's a good pick, HT. You took mine, but I will. Thank you. <laughs> I will give you that one. Um, all right. So for my next one, I have a bit of a story because the Tell weekend story, before I left for my vacation, my roommate and I very spontaneously became obsessed with a horror franchise. Oh, I <laughs> you know what it is because I tweeted a whole thread about it on Twitter. On, obviously, on Twitter because I tweeted it um, about how attractive Bruce Campbell is in the Evil Dead series. <laughs> so we had been I'd been wanting to watch this for a while because um, I knew you know Evil Dead was campy and it was a comedy and Ash had a chainsaw arm and it was ridiculous. So we were like, let's watch them. And so we watched the first one. And the first one's a serious horror movie. It's not a comedy. Which I we did not realize. Um, now, it's from the 80s, so the effects are... 80s effects, as Willoughby can attest oh, from Team Wolf. It was made on a oh, shoestring yeah. budget of, It like, was made for $90,000. We did all this research because we got so into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, knew, I knew the first one was, like, a traditional yeah. horror movie. And then, like, the rest of the ones went really Yeah, and so, rails. like, <laughs> the effects are, you know, they're, like cheesy enough that they're not really scary even though it is serious um but some of the filmmaking is Mm -hmm. really interesting that sam raimi does there's also the unfortunate tree rape scene in the first film which is awful but apparently now sam raimi oh i I read the interview sam raimi now really regrets that scene he was like 20 21 when he made this film so i have to give him props for realizing 
why it's a problem. Um, and so we watched it and we really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. And we loved Bruce Cam- being Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi stands. <laughs> and then we immediately watched Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. First off, speaking of streaming things, though, Stars had Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, which makes sense because they have the show Ash vs. Evil Dead. We watched Evil Dead. The next day we went to go watch Evil Dead 2. They took off the Evil Dead movies. Oh, no. Oh. Did it just turn to did it just turn to October? Yes. Yeah, that's probably But also, why. why would they get rid of the movies that are A, horror movies, and B, part of a series that they... Uh, it, you know what's weird? Rights are weird. Streaming so rights weird. are weird because so weird. all of Full House is on Hulu, but Fuller House is a Netflix original. <laughs> yeah. So we found a place to watch. We watched Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, which is where the camp comes in. Evil Dead 2 is basically a sequel parody of the first one. <laughs> um, it's very strange, but so much fun. And Bruce Campbell When does he does get the get, chainsaw hand? He gets the chainsaw arm at the end of Evil Dead 2. Oh, interesting. Um, and he does get hotter and hotter, I will say, <laughs> Bruce Campbell. Well, that's um, because he's getting older, and as as we all know with Anya, that's how... He's aged like fine wine. Exactly. He does, in Evil Dead 2, um, there's like a part where he gets like gray streaks in his hair from like some of the evil magic or whatever, and I was like, yes! Oh, he becomes Mr. Fantastic? <laughs> yes, he does. It's great. Um, oh, jeez. Does, does his chest hair also like increase exponentially? I don't think so. He's not a very chest hairy man okay. but that's okay for some reason I, I kind of associate Bruce Campbell and Eve, and like Evil Dead franchise with ch- hairy chests but maybe that's just like my own could be older Bruce Campbell yeah, but then maybe. we watched the, we watched the trilogy and then we immediately started the Star series Ash vs. Evil Dead wait what's the third movie in the series? Army of Darkness where Ash gets stuck in medieval times <laughs> wait so it goes Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness Army of Darkness okay. yeah. I thought you said Evil Dead 2 colon Army of Darkness no no, three films. Um, and Army of Darkness is ridiculous. Like, redonkulous. It is so bonkers. And I loved every minute. Um, and then, yeah, we started watching the Star series. We're not cut up yet. Um, there are two seasons, but we're really enjoying it so far. And I was just surprised how much I got into this series. I Like, I kept wanting to watch more, and it was, like, fun and absurd. And watching it with a friend and, like drinking just having a good time is the best way to watch evil dead and now i'm super into it and i love it and i really have to recommend the evil dead series so all right this is such a weird turn we've taken. it was such like in terms of just character arcs like i like you two were the last people i was expecting to like get into horror i feel like we were kind of fated to get into horror though you know with our love for the gothic romance and gothic horror and that That's kind true. of thing and yeah. just like my fascination with some supernatural shows and stories and series, yeah. so I definitely I feel like also I still have like a line that I draw with some horror. Mm-hmm. Like I don't do anything that's like torture porn or like I don't like anything that like punishes humans for no reason. Which yeah. is why I don't like stuff like Saw or The Hills Have Eyes or Human Centipede or anything that Eli Roth does. I just I that stuff doesn't. That stuff is not for me. Um, yeah. But I've become more interested in the fact that people have really done interesting things with the genre of horror. Agreed. It was kind of like a turning point for me in the past few, two, two three years in which we've seen more movies, uh, more horror films become like alleg- allegorical and have a lot of messaging bet- underneath. Like they use that horror theme and like the horror elements to have a of have a greater message which i found really fascinating i like i like the monsters metaphor thing and i think that 
recent horror films, like cerebral horror films or whatever, um, have made great use of that, like It Follows or The Babadook or um, It Comes a Night, for example. All very good films, although I haven't seen It Follows yet because I'm a little scared of it. Uh, okay. I saw It Follows. Um, it is terrifying. Like, I still sometimes picture it in my head, like, at night when I'm going to bed and, like, scare myself. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. It is so good. It. it really is. Like, I'm so glad I watched it and I would watch it again. Like, it is scary, but it's also so good. So, yeah. All right. Willoughby, what is your next pick? My next pick is uh, the 2013 classic what we do in the shadows. Ooh, that's a great that's pick. A good one. Uh, directed by Taika Waititi uh, and starring himself as well as um, Jermaine Clement and a couple other. Reese Darby. New Zealand. Sorry. Reese Darby. Reese Darby as, as a swearwolf. As a swearwolf. <laughs> so a couple of his Light of the Concords. Yeah, it's very people. Light of the Concords esque. Mm-hmm. Um, by the same people who did it. It's a mockumentary about vampires living together in a flat in New Zealand, and it's all about them, about them like prepare, like living their everyday lives as well as preparing for this like uh, like gala or some sort of like convention like dance thing that co- happens every once a year or something. And it's so hilarious and like a perfect mockumentary. And a perfect, like, Halloween thing. Like, it's there's little moments with, of spook with um, the uh, Nosferatu type uh, <laughs> vampire that they've got in their house. And he's like the scariest one, but everyone else is like ridiculous. Like, you've got uh, Jermaine Clement as a as like um, like a Vlad the Impaler, Impaler like type vampire, like Dracula, and then you've got Taika Waititi as like a like a like a He's like a British. He's fop. like a pop, yeah. He's yeah, very poppy, yeah. Yeah, and he's got like he's he's very much like a dandy, and he's like I always forget like, the third one's name. Um, I forget his name, but he's like the one that became a vampire on in the movie, right? No, yeah, no, because there's this. Are we talking about Nosferatu's uh, or the guy who plays the like that type of vampire? No, there are four of them. At the beginning, right? There's. No, there's just no. Three. There's three at the beginning, and then the the guy comes in and becomes a fourth one. No, because oh, are you sure? The, the guy oh. does come in and become a vampire. He becomes the fifth one to join them because the fourth one. Remember, he and him clash, and they like they oh, turn yeah. into bats and they yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. he's the guy who thinks he's as hot as Robert Pattinson. Yes. Oh, right? okay. Completely okay. forgot him. Okay, we everyone forgets about, about him. Oh, yeah. although he's kind of like part of like the central storyline, like beat of the of the of the movie but he's great um and then you've got Stu Stu I love Stu we all love Stu Stu's the great um and the best part about this movie as well as being amazing is that we're gonna get a swearwolf uh, spinoff spinoff um that I, oh, I had a really great title but I can't remember what the title isn't it just was. called like werewolves yeah yeah it's called weir as in w-e apostrophe r-e wolves that's funny yeah um and Taika's coming back to direct it, and I think so. Okay. Um, I mean, he's busy doing. He's a little busy doing Thor Ragnarok, yeah. which I, I've heard is amazing, and becoming a fashion icon. True. Oh, I true. love. Yeah, we um, all adore him here. I, but I love Taika. Taika Waititi, you're yeah, a friend of the pod. The sh- <laughs> <laughs> what we do in the shadows is great, and I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to watch it, and I think maybe Hulu as well. I just I know very much Amazon Prime because it's on my watch list. <laughs> 
right, HT, what is right. your next pick? My pick is a pairing, actually, and we're going back to the classics. I pick Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, uh, directed by James Whale, and uh, based on the books by Mar- based on the book by Mary Shelley. Uh, it's the cl- ni- 1931 classic, the uh, pre-code uh, black and white film, and it's a. Is it, it the one with Boris Karloff? Yes, it is. I think. Yes, it is. The one with Boris Karloff. So it's a classic film for a reason. It really stands the test of time. And it is not one bit scary. It may have been by the standards of that day, but it you can see a lot of the um, foundations for modern ma- monster movies taking place in the Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein one, which is a, is interesting because I think it was like one of the first immediate sequels that you see in, in Hollywood. So... Um, I recommend it just because it's good to go back to the classics and you know we all know all about all about Frankenstein but you will be surprised by how much you haven't have would learn from seeing the original classic film. Now, uh, is Bride of Frankenstein is there a Bride of Frankenstein in the novel or is it a wholly like cinematic creation? So in the novel there is a plot in which Frankenstein the Frankenstein's monster does um, Demand that he may be made a um, a female companion, but we never get so far as to actually yeah. make her. So she like almost becomes made, and then the Frankenstein like tears her apart. Um, so Bride of Frankenstein is like in everything of her aesthetic and her actual creation is a cinematic um, like creation. The hair all the way up with the yes. on the sides. A lot of the aesthetics from the film are a complete creation of James Whale and his and his costume designers because you don't see a lot of that in the original book. It's all quite, it's actually quite different. It's much smaller, but it, but definitely is much more memorable than what we see in the original book, which is a lot more gothic, less so sort of sci-fi, supernatural than we see in the, in the movie. It's very also fascinating. Also, the biggest lesson from the book, which Mary Shelley fully intended, is that the real monster is Frankenstein himself. Exactly. Who's the worst? We can see that with with uh, modern cinema, cinema and the creation of like robots and androids and replicants. And mm-hmm. I and uh, took one for the team, and I watched Victor Frankenstein for you all. So you never need to watch that garbage film, even though James McAvoy is beautiful and charming in it. Um, it's garbage, but he's great. Oh, and it isn't it? Wasn't it? Isn't it a Max? Unfortunately, Landis yes. And I had to. <laughs> compromise my ill will towards Max Landis with my love for James McAvoy too. Daniel Radcliffe's yes. in it too. Yeah. And it does, I will say the one thing I will give it is that it does do a good job of painting Dr. Frankenstein as like a not so great person. So. Yes. Um, HT, I'm really glad those were your picks. Do you want to know why? Because my pick why? goes perfectly with yours. Because mine oh. is my absolute favorite Mel Brooks film, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Ah, that's perfect. It is my number one Mel Brooks film. Uh, it's, I think it's hysterical. Gene Wilder is so funny in it. Uh, the very beginning where he's talking to his students and he stabs himself in the leg is hysterical. Um, I quote it constantly. And I just think it's so much fun so funny, uh, so irreverent, um, but also just a really good homage to the original Frankenstein film and to that genre. 
um, and everything that genre was doing decades and decades before Mel Brooks did his film. And I just highly recommend it. The musical is also very fun. So I recommend both of those. And I love them. You need some comedy in Halloween. There's there's some good comedies for Halloween, too. So Yeah, we've we've yeah. listed quite a few. We've had some serious ones, but a lot of them are comedies. Yes. Can't be. Just the, the best. Part. All right. Willoughby, do you have any more picks? I have a couple, but I'll go, I'll go for one right now. Um, the uh, Ghostbusters franchise. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, Speaking of comedy. I've watched, actually a couple of years ago, I went over to a friend's apartment and we, we all watched the original Ghostbusters on Halloween. And it was kind of fun. It was, you know, um, And of course, you know, you can watch Ghostbusters 2 and then the uh, reboot from last year. Was it, it was last, last year, year, yeah. Yes. Last year, right? Okay. I feel so, so long ago. Oh God. Um, and you know they're all they're all spooky and and funny and uh, um, just a, a good romp. Yeah, the first Ghostbusters really captured that um, irreverent SNL humor. Yeah. That the comedians brought to it, specifically with Bill Murray, mm-hmm. who his character is a little, a lot problematic, but um, <laughs> um, he he's the one who kind of brings the uh, like the commentary to like everything else like Dan Aykroyd is very much the straight man and so is Egon um and there and then Bill Murray's like what are we doing yeah mm-hmm. I always um I watched Ghostbusters for the very first time only like a couple years ago so as like an adult and I definitely find <sighs> that right. it is a movie that has done that has lasted so well because of nostalgia goggles yeah I remember, I, remember we I watched it as an adult and I didn't really care for it um, I think, first off, Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver act circles around everyone else in that film, and it's so <laughs> obvious. <laughs> and also the problematic yeah, elements that you mentioned, really problematic and not so great. Yeah. But I think, but yeah. you know, people love their, I mean, hey, I love Hook, and Steven Spielberg thinks that's his worst film, so like, I totally acknowledge the power of nostalgia. <laughs> His worst film is a lot Hook. of people. Con- a lot of <laughs> people consider Hook his worst film, and I think he does too. Which is it always breaks my heart a little bit, but I'm like, whatever. I'm gonna keep loving it. <laughs> yeah, at least Hook, Hook is, is fun. So fun. You know. Yeah, Warhorse is a drag, and I'm like, he made this just for an Oscar nomination. <laughs> All right. All right. My next pick is another Burton movie. We're fe- this is basically an episode of featuring Tim Burton's best movies. I mean, let's let's be real. Tim Burton has made a lot of great Halloween type movies where mm-hmm. you can watch them at Halloween. They're not super scary. A lot of them do involve Johnny Depp, um, mm-hmm. but you know they're kind of like the perfect gothic Halloween genre. Yeah, his aesthetic and his gothic fixation for, fits perfectly with the ho- with the holiday. And- Plus, with millennials, like we grew up watching those movies, and exactly. so now we've infused that into our culture now. So. Exactly. And speaking of movies that we grew up with, um, one of the formative movies for me as like a burgeoning film uh, film fan was Edward Scissorhands, and it is a great Halloween movie, and also along the lines of sort of that Franken- Frankensteinian. Frankensteinian? Frankensteinian. I was about to say Frankensteinian, but that doesn't make sense. I guess Frankensteinian sort of creator, monster uh, dynamic. And um, although we see less of the creator and it's more about the monster and his uh, innocent persona and how the mob 
and humanity and society just turns on him because he's different. And um, that outsider perspective is very essential to a lot of Tim Burton films, and that's why he works so well within this sort of creepy, spooky genre. Not horror, per se, but the gothic genre, I guess you would say. So I love Edward Scissorhands. It's one of the movies that made me really love movies. Uh, just the whole Beauty and the Beast dynamic, uh, which is a movie that was also quite formative for me. And just the um, the whole, uh, you know, humanity is the most evil thing, uh, society, and the, the sort of... Uh, the takedown of like suburbia and like that sort of perfection and um it's it's got some great performances from johnny depp again but winona Ryder is also great in it playing playing a blonde uh which i think i've only seen her like blonde once or twice in movies and i think that was like anger management and edward scissorhands and it's kind of an anti-winona role because she's not quite as gothic and emo and alt alternative as she usually is but she is wonderful in it. I, I think it's a magical film and just a really beautiful, I guess, Halloween and Christmas film at the same time. Does it take place during Christmas? It does, yeah. Yes, it does. Oh, wow, I completely forgot that. Yeah, Tim like, Burton's... Doesn't it take place in, like a, like, a suburb, but it's not snowy? No, yeah, they... The only time that we have the snowing scene the is because night, like. Edward is, uh, sh- yeah, shaving the ice, and so right. Winona Ryder yeah, starts dancing scene. in the snow. But it's like in California, so it's not like really. Yeah. Like, it's not snowing. It's yeah, but they have like a Christmas party or something. Nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Edward Scissorhands. All right, I think we're coming to the kind of near the end of our list. Yeah, I think. All right, I have a couple more. Yeah, I think um, so. So the one I'll give, I've talked about it before on this podcast, um, but I've seen it a couple more times since I first saw it, and I still love it to death. And that's the invitation. Which is less of, like, a horror Mm. film and more of a thriller, um, although it does get a little bit gory near the end, um, but it is the perfect amount of tension and mystery and second-guessing yourself and, you know, things just being so messed up. Um, It's one of those scenes, one of those movies where, like, the very last shot, or one of the last shots of the scene is, like, forever seared in my mind, and in, like, the best possible way, like, the you know, the power of cinema that it just, like takes hold like that um so you know it doesn't take place during halloween or anything it's not you know like that sort of like culturally or anything like that but it's just perfectly it's a perfect thriller and i think just good to watch um right now or anytime really but it's so much it's so good and it's directed by a woman which is always a plus Mm. um and it's also starring... No, it's not starring your boy. That's a different movie. That's, That's the guest. The guest. Shh, that's still on the list, HT. Oh, okay. I'm <gasps> sorry. Oh. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but no, Stan Evans is not in The Invitation. <laughs> um, but it's really good, and I highly recommend it. It's And it's just really good filmmaking. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Willoughby, what is your next choice? My next and last choice, I don't really have any more, is uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yes! Ooh. The um, horror subversion movie that uh, came out a couple years ago, maybe five years now, ago now. Um, stars Chris Hemsworth before he got, like, A, buff as hell. <laughs> and 
a massive blockbuster superstar. Although it came out after Thor, but it was filmed before Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, I think we've talked about this on the podcast when we talked about horror the first time. But it's you know, it kind of takes the horror genre and subverts it, like, and plays on it with commentary by um, our friend and yours, Bradley Whitford. Um, and he's kind of like he is part of this team that is orchestrating this, you know, horror genre trip for these college students who are going up to a cabin in the woods mm-hmm. and things get spooky and things get subverted and then you know it's all about the final girl and all these genres and tropes in the horror movie and what they mean to not only the horror genre but also to like what it means in like the real world and like all all this commentary and stuff it's yeah. got a lot of great effects and great acting and fun to watch so good warning it is quite gory yeah, it so is, yes it gets yes. very gory so if you're looking for a halloween movie that's not gory cabin in the woods might not be for you but it is very cleverly written and cleverly directed by drew goddard who is one of the frequent joss whedon collaborators yep, who has gone on to write the martian and i think he's coming out with a movie soon i can't remember um but yeah he's uh he's doing well for him yeah it's mm-hmm. a great movie yeah very good. Oh, speaking of subversive horror comedies, I'm going to be picking Shaun of the Dead. Nice. It is a wonderful uh, takedown of the zombie genre, and it's directed by Edgar Wright. stars the trio of, um, well, not trio, stars the usual pair of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and it's the beginning of the Cornetto trilogy. Before it was even considered. Before it was a trilogy, the unofficial trilogy that includes Shaun of the Dead, um, Hot, Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, and World's End. So it's a great, well directed action comedy. You can see like the way that the scenes and the sort of mise en scene really lends to the visual comedy of the whole movie, um, and it's just like a fun sort of uh, depiction of what would happen if the zombie apocalypse. Uh, took place from the perspective of a guy who's kind of a of a bum, like middle management, a, yeah, a, like a Radio Shack, type yeah, place. like a slob who you know only who is basically a, a office, not an office drone, but just like a kind of a work drone. And it it's it, the first scene is really interesting of like after the breakout when he's going about his day and doesn't notice yeah. any of the other people are actually zombies. They, he just assumes they're all just were corporate drones just like him and uh it's it's so funny it is a little bit gory too but in a comedic so many, over the top way so like in a yeah. comedic it's very like um cartoonish like zomb- like zomb- zombie land yeah it's very cartoonish and uh just a lot of fun <laughs> simon Pegg, nick frost are at their just chemical chemistry best i think they're like they're so they're like a lot of fun to watch and you see a lot of the edgar wright uh regulars popping up to like martin Ooh, Freeman. Martin Freeman. I was like, what's his last name? Martin Freeman, several others. Yeah, just watch um, it. Bill and, Nye. Yeah, Bill Nye. Watch it. Go laugh out loud. It's a lot of fun. And you can see the beginnings of Baby Driver because there's one scene set to music to like perfectly choreograph. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderfully made film and just like very sharp and very fast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anya, That's what's your next pick? pick? Um, mm-hmm. So um, HT spoiled it a little bit, but... Um, so Adam Wingard is one of those directors who's very hit or miss, I think, and I think everyone agrees. No one like Death Note, Blair Witch didn't really get much good uh, critical acclaim, 
But he's done a couple movies that I've seen that I've really liked um, and are really great thrillers rather than straight up horrors, although Your Next is a little bit of horror. But so the two movies are Your Next and The Guest. Um, they came out three years apart. Your Next came out in 2011. The Guest came out in 2014. Um, and they're both just a lot of fun. He does a lot with, like, black comedy in his horror movies and thriller movies, which I really like. And Your Next is super feminist, and which is so great. HT, you need to see it. All right, I'll watch it. I'll um, watch and it. it's really funny um, kind of because, like, there are some twists that you sort of call, but you also don't, but you end up rooting sort of for certain people it's very a fun dynamic to watch where you're like on different sides during the movie um and the action is really fun and exciting um and then the guest stars the lovely the one and only dan stevens my darling what's his name willoughby stan Stevens. yep (laughs) um it's uh after he lost all his baby fat from downton abbey Mm. um so, but he is great in the guest, um, perfectly chilling, but also charming, um, very evocative, his character. And the action, once again, is also really exciting to watch, um, really slick and uh, quick. And it also stars, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Uh, she's uh, also the star of It Follows. I believe oh. her name, uh, Micah Monroe. So she's in both The Guest and It Follows, and she's great. And so I just recommend Adam Wingard might be a bit hit or miss, but I think Your Next and The Guest are both big hits for him, and I highly recommend. All right, um, I'm out of I'm picks. Out of yeah, so. Anya, you got any more? I just want to do a shout-out. We all really loved Get Out from earlier this year, so Get Out is the best. Yeah. Everyone watch Get I Out. I, I consider it's a horror, but it's not Halloween. Like, it's not in tone with, like, Halloween. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like a... It's timeless in yeah. terms of it's, like, when you can watch it. But, like, I wouldn't... I mean, I, I guess if you watch, if you want to watch horror during Halloween, you can. But, mm-hmm. like, it, you know, a lot of the ones I've picked out are, like, Halloween-focused. Yes. Agreed. All right. I think that's a great way to wrap up our non-horror Halloween movies discussion. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right, Ruby, why don't you start us off this week? Okay, um, I just, uh, I want to talk about fall TV. We're now, like, fully into the swing of things. Uh, a lot of TV shows are co- have come back from the fall, and I really like it, because I like having stuff to watch when I come home. You know, I, I'll either watch it live or watch it the day after on Hulu, and, you know, so, like, all of the CW shows have come back this week. I've watched most of them, except for Legends of Tomorrow, which I need to watch. Uh, I need to catch up on. But I did watch the premiere of Riverdale, and I watched the premiere of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and The Flash, and Supergirl. Um, And then, as we've talked about, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place have been going well. Um, I haven't caught up with Star Trek Discovery, but that's been airing, and I've been liking what I've seen so far. Um, And so, you know, it's it's always fun to have, like, you know, like a, a massive TV show is like, like ready to watch, and like they're good, they're there for you mm-hmm. when when you need to like kill some time or you want to catch up on things. So like uh, yesterday and today, I was I've been watching like Riverdale and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and stuff, and they're all doing well. Like I really like the premieres of all of the shows and stuff. Um, the Flash was very interesting, <laughs> and I'm wondering how they're 
going to do what they've done with Barry? I wonder. I feel like Barry isn't fully back yet. Do you, does it ever yeah. did it strike you odd, it's, like, what his demeanor was kind of a little bit yeah. distant? Like, it did seem like, I mean, there was the moment where, I mean, he couldn't speak in proper yeah. English, but and then he came back. But he came back really normal, but then there, well, he's not super normal. It's still something's a little bit off. And, I don't know. Yeah, and I, but I liked the Supergirl premiere. Uh, just, like... I like the fact that she's kind of, like, trying to, like, reconcile with her um, human side and her Kryptonian side, because as Anya and I have pointed out, she almost committed genocide. Yep. And that was awkward. That was super I'm awkward. I'm still not over that. And nobody's really talking about it, either I know. A, on the show, or B, in real life. Like, she almost committed genocide. Yeah. Even, like, yeah, it was against a, a war-mongering race of beings, but... That was still it's still technically genocide. Yep. It was really weird. Yeah, um, I hope that she grapples with that I more think, so than she grapples with losing the love of her life. And that's Ugh. the thing is that's what she's grappling with, and it's not grappling with the fact that she almost killed a whole race of people. Also because Monel's the worst. <laughs> Monel is kind of the worst. You know, I'm okay, I, I'm I, I liked him. I liked him, but he's also the worst. I'm also I'm a little bit sympathetic towards Monel, but like I don't like that the show is fixated on what the, should, the love story between they them. They should have taken like I think uh, M- Melissa Benoist is a great actress, and what she's doing is great. And we haven't seen that from Supergirl, like major depression and like trying to deal with her feelings and like the fact that she like, l- you know, she's grieving. But mm-hmm. I think that what she should be acting towards is, is the fact that she can almost like she did something that Supergirl and Superman and Kryptonians of the good nature like shouldn't do, which is commit war crimes. Uh, so. I mean, I think this just means that we should all be watching the best CW superhero show, which is Legends of Tomorrow. There's that. And I'm going to Listen, watch Willoughby, you need to watch it because recording. it's the best. I still haven't watched any of it. HG needs to watch it because it's the best. Yes. I think, HG, I think you really, really like it. It's kind of, it's got the spirit of Doctor Who from the Russell T. Davies series without... But and it's such a found family, and they all love each yeah. other. Yeah. It's like it, it's like if there was more found family stuff in Doctor I Who. Yes, I'll watch. I and we have like your boy, your boy Arthur Darvel. I know, but, but yeah, I but only watch from so season much. two onwards. Yeah, I don't have a lot of time, guys. What? Maybe I'll I'll make time. It's fine. Sure. It's that, fine. Get just travel back in time. Oh, oh, ha, 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 ha. So uh, basically, yeah, my really like is Fall TV. All right. Anya, would you like to say you're really like next? Sure. So I haven't been able to do a lot of pop culture things since I have been on vacation. You've been gallivanting um, up and down the East Coast. I have been. Um, I was able to check out a couple trailers, and I really dug the Star Wars one. It was great. My boy Poe. Oh, yeah, that came out on Monday. Why didn't I take that from I thought you were going to. I'm retconning it. I'm retconning it. The really like is my Star Wars trailer. Yeah, it's a great trailer, (laughs) and Poe is so great in it, guys. So great. He says things. Um, he does say things. Oh my god! But <laughs> he's really good at dropping some quotes. <laughs> but the big um, pop culture thing that I did while I was away is um, I spent a few days in New York before our cruise left, and I got to see the musical Come From Away, which I've mentioned before on the podcast. Is I really like because I've been listening to the soundtrack um, during this year. But I finally saw it on stage, the full musical, and it is wonderful. It is so uplifting and funny and heartwarming and clever and it won awards for diversity and it's you know, its approach to diversity, especially given that it's about a story during nine eleven, is 
really wonderful. Can you remind me what it's about again? Yeah, yeah. So it's based on a true story. Um, basically, when 9-11 happened, all these flights that were coming into New York or going over the U.S. airspace had to be diverted. And so they all landed at this little town called Gander in Newfoundland, Canada. And the people, they're known as Come From Aways, and all these plane people, these come from ways, were stuck there for about five or six days before they could finally get the planes back in the air. And it's basically a story about humanity coming together in the wake of tragedy and, you know, being there for each other and supporting each other and forming friendships and bonds that they would never forget. And, you know, the Canadians all, you know, gave them their, gave up their homes and their lives to help these people. Mm. And it's just so wonderful and, like... I didn't think it would work at first. I thought it was going to be... I didn't think that subject would make for a very good musical. But it's actually very funny and very smart and clever. And its music is very uh, Canadian folky. It's very Mm. much like that. So it's a lot of, like, guitars and drums and um, a lot of fun stuff like that. And so I just think it's really, really great and... um, you know, it addresses Islamophobia, and there are queer characters in it, and people of color. And one of the pilots um, in real life was the first female U.S. pilot in history, and she's a character in the musical, and she has a whole song about it. And it's just really great. So mm-hmm. I saw that, and I my, loved it. My parents saw it when it was still off-Broadway in D.C. Yeah. Because it, origin- it originated in D.C., and they saw it. And they were seeing the same exact praise as you were, Anya. Mm. They said the same exact things, how great it was, uh, how how good the music was, how great the story was. I actually watched their uh, Tom Brokaw and NBC did a documentary about Gander. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen that for, for the 2008 uh, Winter Olympics? Yeah, because um, it was a lot of winter stuff in the preview. Um, and basically they were singing, they were talking about this was before the musical was ever a thing, and they were talking about uh, how great this town was to all these Americans and people who were coming into New York, um, and just the town itself, like the history of the town, like it was a uh, like a midway point for um, military planes during World War II. You know, before before planes could make the the jump to, from the Atlantic to the Pacific. I mean, from the from the East Coast to Europe. Like, in one jump, like, they stopped in Gander, mm. and then they refueled, and they kept kept going, because of the way it works with Canada and stuff, like, it's more north, and they could just come back down to, to England or vice versa. So, Gander was a... But then when airplanes didn't have to do that anymore, it just became, like, a little town, but there was still that airplane... There, that airplane... Uh, hangar. Hist- hangar and history and all the runways. There's so many runways. Um, and so, it was this really incredible story that even if you watched the documentary like I was in tears it was we also watched it at work on 9-11 and I work for the 9-11 victims compensation fund so it was a very emotional day but that that documentary itself really like will fill you up with a lot of uh, joy for humanity and I recommend I recommend the documentary and also I'm excited hopefully one day to watch the musical yeah all right so my really like this week is a movie that I saw on Thursday. It's called The Florida Project, uh, which is directed by Sean Baker, who previously directed Changerine, uh, an indie film that was shot only on the iPhone. Uh, and apparently it was very beautiful. I never saw it. But The Florida Project is... Uh, it, it really hit me, actually. I'm still thinking about it. But it's this gorgeous, warm film about 
life on the periphery, essentially. Um, it's these about these families who live in like the motels surrounding uh, Disneyland in Florida, and um, they are always witnessing like the the tourists coming in and out and seeing all the things that Disneyland has to offer but not actually being able to participate in it. And they live almost in poverty and like in this, these sort of slum-like conditions in these motels. Um, and uh, the main character is this uh, sweet, charismatic girl named Mooney. And uh, she kind of, she's like this eight-year-old girl who isn't, who isn't really aware of her circumstances. She kind of just lives life um, really joyfully. It's so, like it, it. The first two thirds really present itself as just like this warm slice of life film about these kids who live in poverty but are just like enjoying life as best they can, and just like running around and like all these Florida um, landmarks and everything, and just like, and it really gives you an appreciation of the simplicity of life. Um, but then, like the ending, sort of hits you like a ton of bricks because you know. They it never this movie never forgets that these are people who are really in in need and in poverty, and um, that the sort of like circumstances are always kind of coming into these little moments that uh, Mooney is enjoying herself, and uh, she has a mom who's like out of work who used to work as a stripper and ends up trying to like sell to solicit uh, people and like. Uh, prostitute out of her room and everything and Willem Dafoe is amazing as the manager of this motel where they live and has like he is kind of cursed with a kind heart and he like kind of sees um, Mooney's mother and Mooney herself as sort of like these surrogate children and there's a lot of that sort of like parental ties going on around in this film it's not really it's kind of a meandering film there is no real plot it's definitely more of a slice of life film than your typical you know like child custody or poverty film and it is just so wonderful in that it's like it's so appreciative of life at the same time as making you aware of like how much you should appreciate life so it's it's a wonderful film. I cried a lot oh, at the end. I've heard nothing um, but good yeah. about it. I really want to see it. It is a it's a wonderful film. Um, Brooklyn Prince, who plays Mooney, is amazing. She is getting a lot of Oscar buzz, and she may be the youngest uh, person to be nominated for an, a best supporting or best actress role. Uh, and yeah, it's just amazing performances all around. Uh, beautifully empathetic and warm. I highly recommend it. Yay. Yay. That's awesome. All right. Well, that is our episode. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on Halloween movies, preferably not too scary, or fall TV, or the Last Jedi trailer, we'll throw that one in there, um, or mm-hmm. Come From Away, or The Florida Project, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. Where can they find you guys? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at Willby Dobbs on Twitter. Do we want to announce our 100th yes. episode? Oh. Now that we're all together, we have a special project coming up for our 100th episode of the Millennial Falcon. We're almost at 100th it's episode, guys. That's wild. Guys, we've got about nine episodes left. All right, Willby, please announce the project. Yes. So, we, at the end of every episode, we do our little segment we really, 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 really like. And we would like 
for other people who have, A, been on the show and not been on the show. If you're a listener and you've always wanted to tell us what you've really liked, now's your chance. You can send us a voice memo or a recording, some sort of MP3 of your voice of something in 2017 pop culture related that you've really liked. Um, and if you send it to us, we will play it on the show and we will talk about it, whether, you know, what our thoughts about whatever you want to talk about. And sort, and then we'll just kind of like, it'll be like a loosey-goosey episode. Like, it's going to be like we're going to listen to something, then we're going to talk about it. And we'd love to hear from all of you. Um, you know, w- you know, it doesn't have to be very long. It could be like a minute or so. Just, you know, just or talk. 30 seconds 30 if seconds, you, you know, just talk about something that you really have liked in 2017. 2017 has been kind of a shit year in terms of news and politics. And so, like, what we've tried to do is always try to be positive and yeah. find a lot of things, and a lot of things positive this year have been in pop culture. Movies, um, TV shows, music, books, comic books, theater, books. anything. Anything yeah. pop culture related, anything entertainment, anything that, that you've really liked this year, um, please send us a voice memo with your voice, who you are, uh, and then, you know, it'll be a grand old time. Yeah, where can they send that, Willoughby? You can uh, email us at... Uh, Millennial Falcon Podcast at gmail.com and you can send us you know a short mp3 voice recording there um, you can also we'll, dm us on twitter or send us message on yeah, facebook yeah um and i think on facebook you can send memos yeah um like voice memos i'm not sure about twitter but um you know do what you know whatever means necessary you know uh, to get us to get us what you want, what short you really of stalking like. us, please. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if you need help, we'll we'll figure it out. If you know, we know how to work QuickTime. We know how to work Audacity. If you guys, you know, we can give you instructions on how to do that, um, or just record on your phone and send us an email with it. Um, yeah, yeah. At, uh, it's gonna be great. Email us at millennialfalconpodcast at gmail and we will uh, put those on the show on our hundredth episode, which. Looking at our schedule, we'll be around December, but we'll keep reminding everybody once or once a episode or so is just saying that it's coming up. So we've got about a couple months before it. Yeah, but we'd like to put out the put out the word now. Yeah, put out on the horn. We want to celebrate our hundredth episode with you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our episode. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys.